0: As usual, I asked our guest Jack Caparicio to pound the table for some of this offseason. Jack, who you pounded the table for?
1: I'm pounding the table for Kenneth Gainwell Jr., the Philadelphia Eagles fifth-round running back. Um, I know he doesn't have the high draft capital, and people are quick to dismiss that, but I think he's easily the best pass catching back in this class outside of maybe ETNA. Um, You know, I think that new coach Nick Sirianni brought in Gainwell to serve as Naeem role, As you can remember, he had that role. Um, when he was the offensive coordinator at indianapolis colts and we've seen that miles sanders has not been heavily utilized in the passing game because he has some inefficiencies there i think gainwell has been brought in to do that and he's the type of guy i'm pounding the table for with the last pick in my redraft leagues.
0: i like it i always like when we get a pound the table for a rookie because i just love rookie running backs it's in my bones so everybody follow jack's advice go get you some kenneth gainwell with the eagles now let's get to the show Welcome everyone to the most accurate podcast. I am your humble host, Brandon Niles. My co-host today is the Frank Gore of Best Ball Leagues, Chris Allen. How's it going, Chris?
2: Frank Gore, really? Uh, am yeah. I am I old? It's is just that, so that many. Thing? It's <laughs> prolific.
0: It's prolific. That's what it is. <laughs>
2: No, no, I'll love it. I do appreciate that, Brandon, and I'm happy to get a chance to talk to you. And with everything that's going on right now with us getting close to the preseason, it really is the it really is draft season as of right now. And for folks that don't know, 444 is currently doing our underdog promo. Go ahead and sign up right now. Use the promo code 444. Deposit 10 bucks and you get 25 dollars plus a probe subscription to 444, which would be great because as of right now, the amount of money that I've deposited over to Underdog is reaching "Don't Tell My Wife" territory. So <laughs> I, I would say that if you can take advantage of this deal, definitely go ahead and do that. So especially with Best Ball Mania, we got the big dog going on. I'm I'm assuming the Puppy Two is coming like shortly. So all of those things going on along with the private and uh casual drafts you can do on there definitely get a chance if you can to go and do that because you know you'll find me in most of the lobbies that you'll probably hop into uh, if you wind up signing up using our promo
0: excellent thank you so much chris Uh, as i mentioned we're excited to have one of the newest members of the four for four team jack caparicio on the show today you can follow jack on twitter at clinic cap that's with two p's and read all his fantastic stuff at four for jack buddy
1: thanks for coming on man how you doing today i'm good thanks for having me on you know I, we've only been working together for a week or so but uh it feels a lot longer and i'm happy to be on here today
0: i uh no no bs like i i know i host this podcast but i've been with 444 for like 15 years and i'm here honestly because everyone at 444 is awesome so i'm excited to have you on the team
1: no i can tell it's been awesome so far
0: we're gonna talk nfc north today but i i just read your player debate with frank uh amarante Advocating for DeAndre Swift over J.K. Dobbins. Really interested in these sophomore running backs and DeAndre Swift in specific. And I figured since we're talking NFC North, we'd have you come on and you can tell me why you prefer Swift and what fantasy owners uh, should expect from him this year.
1: Yeah, so DeAndre Swift, a little bit of context. Last year coming in the draft was my RB1 in terms of rookies and talent wise. Um, I think he's closer to Jonathan Taylor in terms of pure talent and as a pure rusher than people think. His skill sets are obviously a little bit different, um, but you know, I think he's just as talented as those other top running backs. And in terms of, you know, him versus JK Dobbins, a lot of it for me comes down to the ADP evaluation. They're currently Swift is RB 16 on underdog fantasy and JK Dobbins is RB 17. Mm-hmm. So they're only separated by one point, you know, between, between their positional uh, breakdown. And for me, you know, Swift finished as RB 18 last year in half PPR as a rookie and he barely cracked a 35% snap share. Um, I, I think that's some hyper-efficiency, and because underdogs in particular is half-point PPR, um, I want the guy that's going to catch more passes. We've mm-hmm. seen from Dobbins that you know, he's you know, arguably one of the best pure rushers in the NFL. He was highly efficient on his rushes, but Lamar Jackson doesn't throw the running back. Mm-hmm. You know, There have been reports out of, out of Ravens training camp and out of Harbaugh that they're going to involve Dobbins more in the passing game, but, you know, coach speak flies around this time of year. Obviously, they're going to want to get their best players involved and get the ball in his hands. But until I see that, that's not a risk I want to run. And Swift, you know, you could make the argument that he's the number one or number two most talented pass catcher on his team now with Hawkins. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, no, you're right. <laughs> it, it's, not, it's not very often that that happens. I think the last time was Christian McCaffrey. When mm-hmm. he came in as a rookie and the year after that, he was probably the best pass catcher on his team. Um, so for, for me, you know, I look at it and people say on paper, well, the Ravens offense going to be way better and have more touchdowns. Yes, that's 100% true. The Lions are probably going to be a dumpster fire um, in terms of their offensive output. But if it's a half PPR, I want the guy that's going to get the checkdowns. I want the team that's going to be behind every single game because their defense is bad and they're playing catch up. You know, I don't want the team that doesn't throw to the running back and, and, you know, frankly, will be in a lot of neutral game scripts. Being a negative game strip is DeAndre Swift's best friend. Um, So that's my big one point. Second point would be, you know, I know a lot has been made this offseason about the Anthony Lynn comments about saying, you know, well, Jamal Williams is my A-back and DeAndre Swift is my B-back. I think that's been misconstrued a little bit for people who don't know Anthony Lynn's history. We saw Anthony Lynn uh, lead Austin Eckler to RB4 finish overall in full PPR and RB6 and half PPR in 2019, and Eckler's his B-back. And that was with Melvin Gordon there competing with him. And I, I think we can agree that Melvin Gordon at that time was better than Jamal Williams is now. Um, so for me, from a fantasy perspective, I want to be back in that offense because that's the guy who's going to catch the passes. Um, so, so for me, I would expect DeAndre Swift for his fantasy owners to outperform his current ADP of RB16. I think in any PPR format, he's got the chance to finish as a fantasy RB1. Um, not, you know, the RB1, but but I think he can crack top 12 um, pretty easily with the type of talent he has. So I'm investing in him everywhere. And that's not just because I'm a Lions fan. I, I think he's generally going to have a good season.
0: Oh, now it comes out. The Lions fan, that's what comes <laughs> out.
1: <laughs> now, I will say DeAndre Swift,
0: top five name for a running back. I'm just saying Swift. I mean, you got to draft oh, yeah. a guy named Swift, right? that That's what makes sense to me. Uh, Chris, where do you land on Swift, and how does he compare in best ball value to the other sophomore running backs out there, Dobbins, Taylor, uh, you know, even like Zach Moss, James Robinson, CEH, Gibson, lots of sophomore backs. Where does he kind of land for you value-wise as your? uh patrolling your best ball leagues
2: gotta say i do agree with jack on the approach if you're trying to evaluate both jk dobbins and deandre swift because with dobbins we saw that while he did wind up coming up as a, I guess, a fa- having an impact on the fantasy season, like towards the back end to the year, it really was bent on a lot of efficiency, which we can't always rely on from a, from a running back, right? Because unless he's going to be wind up getting like, a ton of volume, like it's, it's hard to bank on that efficiency, like uh, keeping up like over the course of an entire 16, well now 17 game season, like from week 11 on, I mean, he was averaging at least one touchdown per game, like from week 11 on, like I know he was out for week 12 because of, uh, cause he got placed on the COVID list but he didn't crack the century mark in terms of rushing yards until their final game against Cincinnati. He was not involved in the passing game, didn't average over 50% of the snaps until I think it was past like week six or week seven. We already know that Gus Edwards got extended. Lamar Jackson is the RB, is essentially the RB1 on that team. So it's like, it's hard for me to talk myself into J.K. Dobbins at cost. It just seems like there's a lot going into his current cost at at this point in the off season. And of course, like I... And I'll, I'll be 100 percent honest. Like I live in Ohio. I'm an Ohio State. Uh, like I root for my Ohio State guys. Like once they get mm-hmm. into the NFL, and J.K. Dobbins is obviously one of those guys that I root for. But still, it's hard for me to balance that with the fact that he is playing essentially a second fiddle in a in a, a run heavy offense. I get it. The volume may be there, but it's just how can we bank on uh, red zone carries, uh, at least a significant number of red zone carries, considering Gus Edwards had 96 to J.K. Dobbins, 109, like, over the back end of the season. In terms of running routes, I mean, they both ran, like, similar number uh, similar number of routes. I mean, just 40 routes, like, on 11 targets. Like, it's just, where are we seeing that that amount of production, or at least that opportunity turning into, into production? Whereas with Swift, we can see that. Now, I do have some concerns with Jared, uh, with Jared Goff like, coming in, because stylistically, in terms of Goff, like, unless he had uh, Todd Gurley, even with like the heights of Todd Gurley, he was only passing to the running backs on a I think maybe like a twenty, uh, like they were like twenty third in the NFL in terms of running back targets, uh, like back in like 2017, 2018, oh, But still, it, it surprised me too. But it's uh, but still, it's do we see that shift because the that that Rams offense they had Cooper Cup, they had Robert Woods, they obviously don't have the same type of pass catchers like in Detroit. So by default, I can absolutely see the path that Jack laid out and that Swift is the one that they have to go to because other than like Rashad Perryman, Tyrell Will Williams, I mean, are we really going to think that, I mean, I am excited about Ross, St. Brown, but it's like, we don't really see the same type of the same level of talent at the wide receiver position as Jared Goff saw when he was still on the Rams. So at least for my money, yes, it's easier for me to one bet on bet on the talent, even though i do agree that i had swift ahead of dobbins at least from a from a rookie rushing perspective when they both came into the league but now if you take both of their uh both of their situations into context it's still swift still grades out ahead just from the pure volume that we can project for him moving forward in 2021
0: now i'm with you now, you know speaking of sophomore running backs and you talk about jared goff coming over from the rams uh, i was devastated to hear about cam Akers has torn achilles this past week one of my favorite young backs I just like watching him play I I thought he had a great opportunity ahead of him I'm just sad uh Chris I know you've always liked the skill set of Daryl Henderson uh he's someone that you've been targeting and talking about as someone with value even when Akers was healthy and in the lineup uh tell me how you're approaching the Rams backfield now now that Akers is definitely done for the season
2: yeah it never really I I could never wrap my head around like the massive gap between uh, between Akers and Hendo because Similar to, like, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, similar to Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray, it's just, like, those, like, multi-round gaps between, like, the primary rusher, who we perceive to be the primary rusher, and their backup, it just, I, I really can't reconcile, like, that that far of a gap. Because we both like we all know that there's going to be at least a significant workload for most of those backups. Like maybe a guy like Alexander Madison, like Tony Pollard, like some of those guys, they, they might sit even farther in the back seat, like than some of the other guys that I just mentioned. But at least we know that there's some sort of just like relative, like stable, uh, secondary role for them on a weekly basis. And that's really mm-hmm. what, what what I saw more like for for Darryl Henderson moving in. Yes, I know like Cam Akers, he got more. He started to get more in tune with that offense like during the back end of the season but you also have to like weigh the Rams situation towards the back end of the season too fighting for a playoff spot what their quarterback essentially like goes down at some like you know towards the back end of the season as well so they have they're doing that they're having to deal with that too so it's just like there's some context to that situation where acres gets like winds up taking like more of the lion's share of the workload like uh, last year but on top of that like daryl henderson he's a good running back Mm -hmm look at his, uh, his collegiate output out at Memphis. Dude averaged, I know it's a descriptive stat, but dude averaged nine yards per carry at Memphis. That's ridiculous. <laughs> now I know he wasn't rocking like this massive, uh, this massive target share. I think he only managed maybe like 21, 22 receptions like per season, but still we know that he is, he can be an efficient runner. And as Sean McVay, I think there was a tweet that actually just came out today. Uh, from Jordan Rodrigue from a press conference from McVeigh, it's not it's not the ability it's the availability of Mm -hmm. Daryl Henderson ended his rookie season on the injured reserve ended last year on the injured reserve currently nursing some sort of unspecified ailment as the that which which is what came out of OTAs and as they're coming into camp so it's more of can he stay healthy and be and be available to the team and available to our fantasy rosters has really held him back. So I would rather buy into that risk, especially at the current cost or at the cost he was before Acres went down. Mm-hmm. Now it's just more of do you do you want to pay this massive bump up? And I know that some folks have especially those that are in more of like the tournament mode and doing like best ball mania and all that. They say that they don't want to invest in Daryl Henderson at all. Because most folks that already invest in them, they were paying that tenth, eleventh round cost. I guess I fall into the the idea that, well, that was prior to the Acres news. Now you're still drafting against 12 people that still need to get through 16 or you no know, 14, 15 weeks to get to the playoffs. Those people don't have access to like that team that you're drafting against in that 12 team league. They don't have access to that, that cost for, mm-hmm. uh, for, uh, for Henderson when he was in the 10th, 11th round. So it's like a brand new league, and that's how you should be able to treat it. And you can also think about even once you get into the playoffs, who knows what's going to happen once we get into the back end of the season anyway. So I am kind of into uh, Henderson at his current cost. I just want to see like where it levels out. I haven't mm-hmm. really started like too many drafts or gotten to that point to really see like where I've heard like fourth round, I've heard fifth round, I've heard sixth round uh, is the new ADP for for Henderson. So I can see folks like diving into like his current ADP just to get a piece of that. But I do want to find out. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm waiting yeah. to see like who they sign, who they bring in. If it's Frank Gore, uh, if it winds up being Le'Veon Bell, I mean any of the current free agents that are out there, that is what's that's what I'm waiting for because we already know at least from what Sean McVay said that he's not going to be playing in the preseason anyway. So it's really just trying to wait and see how the team responds to this situation and then I'll adjust from there.
0: You know, I uh, fourth round sounds about right to me. I like I'm okay with that. I've seen him go 11th recently. Uh, yes,
2: I, foresee, <laughs> I saw that too.
0: <laughs> I've seen him go 11th in, in, uh, overall. Uh Jack, I want to quickly shift to uh the Saints before we get into the main segment today, which is the NFC North fantasy breakdown of the division. Uh I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Michael Thomas. Uh Bad news, ankle surgery likely keeping him out first part of the season, and we really don't know how soon he'll be back. I've heard week nine, uh, but this far out, it's hard to really put a lot of stock into those actual dates that they're putting out there. Uh, How are you approaching the Saints' offense with this news?
1: Yeah, so for me, the Saints almost as a whole are an offense I'm avoiding. Um, The only real value prospect that was there before was Michael Thomas and that that presumed high volume he was going to get. Um, but with their wide receiver one, possibly being Traquan Smith, um, that, that's not something I want any part of on any of my fantasy teams. The only guy that I'm willing to touch um, at cost is Alvin Kamara. You know, we've talked about, there's been much talked about the splits with Kamara without Michael Thomas. And, you know, he's getting double digits, tar- digit targets per game. We've seen the splits with Taysom Hill where those have gone down. We saw those last year. Um, but I think regardless of who the quarterback is, whether it's Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston, I think they're going to have to design more plays for Kamara. Obviously, there's only so much you can do. You, you, know, you can play a guy on every single snap, and he can only get the ball so many times. But you know we really could see Kamara being split out into the slot, I think, this season more and more. And then maybe Latavius Murray takes, takes over more of that 1A traditional type of role, um, even more than he has in, in seasons prior. Um, beyond that, if Taysom Hill's declared the starter, I'll I'll roster him on my fantasy teams. Um, especially mm-hmm. in a best ball. I think somebody like Hill is one of those players you'd look at and you go, Well, I don't think he's that great of an actual NFL quarterback, but that doesn't mean he can't be great for fantasy. You know, mm-hmm. his rushing upside alone, and because this team doesn't have any other options, um, it, it could put him in the fantasy QB one territory. We've seen that with other, you know, they call him Konami Code, is where, you know, he's not he doesn't have to have these prolific passing numbers to be really useful for your fantasy roster. Um, and especially at the cost he's been going at, because we don't know who the heck is going to start. Um, and I, I believe that if Jameis Winston's declared the starter, then he'll still going to see the field in some capacity, you know, like we've seen in years past, out was a tight end, a running back, wildcat type of situation. Um, but there's a lot of uncertainty there. So, you know, I would advise going with the most talented player, and that's Alvin Kamara, because either way, they're going to have to find a way to get him touches.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, it's hard to hard to argue or disagree with you on Kamara. Those two quarterbacks are so cheap right now. It's it, you know a couple dart throws, a little bit of exposure to both of them uh, in different leagues. I think makes some sense. Folks 4 for 4 is partnered with underdog fantasy and I for one I'm taking full advantage I'll be in dozens of leagues by the time the season begins and I love the best ball format I can draft a team and then enjoy zero maintenance all season long no setting lineups no waivers no problem you automatically get maximum points out of your team each week. Right now we have a screaming good deal. If you deposit $10 at Underdog Fantasy and use the promo code 444, that's 4 for 4, that's 4FOR4. You get $25 from Underdog. That's the price of admission to Best Ball Media 2, with $3.5 million in total prizes. And you get a pro subscription to 4 for 4. This is one of the best promos I've seen in my 14 years with 4 for 4. So take advantage. Go sign up today. Let's get to the main segment today, NFC North Fantasy Breakdown. Uh, generally speaking, I want to talk redraft and best ball. I uh, kind of want Chris to, to bring the best ball side of it. I kind of want Jack to bring the um, the redraft side of it, if it differs and how. Uh, but let's talk. Let's start with your Detroit Lions, Jack. We already talked about DeAndre Swift. How are we feeling about Jamal Williams' role? You said you'd rather have that, uh, that B back. But if Jamal Williams has that A-back, and uh, given his relatively low cost, are you interested in Williams in, in redraft formats?
1: I am, and because that A-back role is still valuable, like I touched on with Melvin Gordon, Melvin Gordon was still an RB1 that season for fantasy. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you know Swift is just going to magically take away any of Williams' upside. I think Williams is going to see the field more in third-down situations. Honestly, I think he's a better pass blocker at this point in his career. Um, and that's something Dan Campbell and that team is going to care about is keeping Goff upright because Goff is obviously, you know, a little bit statuesque back there. He's not he's not a Kyler Murray uh, running mm-hmm. around for his life back there. Um, but I think Jamal Williams could see some of that goal line work, even though Swift has been pretty efficient near the goal line. Um, and we do have to consider the the concussions that Swift had last year. We have to keep that on our radar. He missed games last year. And, you know, I remember Adrian Peterson saying that Swift wasn't the same in practice after suffering those concussions. And we've seen that happen before with lions running backs, unfortunately, as I I can recall job at best. Oh, um, yeah, you know, so it's one of those unfortunate things you don't want to talk about, but if we're talking about, you know, winning money and winning fantasy leagues, we have to take that risk into account. I love Deandre Swift more than the next guy. Um, but Jamal Williams is the type of guy I, I would take, you know, late in my draft just in case something happened, because, I do think Williams is a talented running back, and if Swift were to go down, I could see him as a high-end RB two to low-end RB one in those weeks that he starts.
0: Chris, twelfth uh, round, he's like RB forty-four and underdog ADP right now. Check out four for four's um, underdog ADP app; it's fantastic. Uh, are you a lot of exposure to Jamal Williams in, across your best ball leagues? I have
2: a lot of exposure <laughs> to Jamal Williams <laughs> uh, because one of one of the things that I've like kind of slowly started working into like my, my teams is that I try and, uh, work in some of those like elite wide receivers early and then I'm just looking for value running backs and Jamal Williams is one of those uh value running backs that I am trying to identify like later in drafts like him I know with like we mentioned earlier like Madison James Connor like Gus Edwards like uh, all all Daryl Henderson up until like last week I mean all those Mm -hmm. guys kind of fall into that same bucket of if you wind up taking a running back early or like one to two running backs early and you're trying to fill out and getting to you know five run four or five running backs later he profiles as one of those guys that you would want on your team and since we know that he can be useful in both the pass uh, both the passing game and also in the rushing game I mean he is the ideal guy to try and fit into your lineup at some point in the draft.
0: Yeah, I like uh, the hyper Rojo. You got to do a little bit of hyper J Will too, right? Mm-hmm, like, uh, have exactly. That, has that as that RB forty roster? Uh, you know, kind of piggybacking off that, another guy that's pretty much free that's it's available really late. Uh, Jared Goff. He averaged, you know, over his career, two hundred sixty three yards, one point five five touchdown passes per game. Those aren't bad numbers. Those are those can get up into fringe, uh, QB one territory or at least solid QB two territory. Uh. We've got him ranked all the way down at 28, John does. Nobody's really giving him any credit. Obviously, we worry about the targets. Uh, Is he worth a dart throw in any of your best
2: ball leagues, Chris? I can see if you want to go like the very, the three-quarterback strategy. So let's say that if you completely fill out your roster, I mean, you go at least one to two elite RBs early, maybe grab, like like I mentioned earlier, one of those high upside RB2s. Also, you're doing uh like wide receiver early and often. Maybe you grab a TJ Hawkins center, like a tight end one along with that. So let's say you've got... I mean, just high-end players at all the other skill positions, and then now you're trying to fill out the quarterback position later. Sure, you could throw a dart throw at Jared Goff as one of your three quarterbacks. So let's say if you wind up taking, let's say, off the top of my head, a Ryan, again, somebody might come and yell at me because the bye weeks are are messed up or whatever. But let's say like Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, Deshaun Watson now, considering his current situation, and then you throw in a Jared Goff. Why not? I mean, you can at least cobble together enough quarterback one weeks, like off of each of those three guys throughout the entire season that it could wind up working out for you. So it's not the absolute worst idea.
0: Jack, uh, any interest in Goffin in redraft formats, or is he too far down the list to give any kind of exposure?
1: In most traditional redraft leagues, you know, your 10 team, 12 team leagues, I don't have any interest in them. I'm not a guy who likes to roster a lot of quarterbacks. I think um, that's a move to set up for failure in redraft leagues. I could see him being a type of guy you stream, um, it, you know, if your main quarterback's on a bye week or maybe he has a great um, matchup that week. And I will say for, you know, a small case of support for him, like I said with Swift, they're going to be a negative game scripts. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, the chances are that Goff is going to have to throw a lot um, probably more than he had to with the Rams of past few seasons, because they've, they've always had a good run game. Um, so not really in most, but um, he's somebody to keep an eye in. If you need a streamer late down the season
0: sure uh you know to both your points there i've used him as like a backup when i'm when i'm kind of swinging on somebody like justin fields or somebody, or Trey Lance, if I'm swinging on one of those guys who I think is going to be really good, but maybe Goff gets me through the first four weeks while they're waiting to take over the starting job. That's kind of how I've used him. Uh, speaking of the targets in Detroit, uh, obviously the receivers we'll get to, but the main guy I think most people are targeting and looking at in that passing game is uh, you know third-year tight end, TJ Hawkinson, who really had a breakout season last year. I think a lot of people are expecting more. Uh, Jack, how high are you on Hawkinson, and do you think he has a legit chance? to lead this team in targets.
1: I've got him currently projected as my tight end 4 overall, which is what he finished last year. Um he very well could lead the team in targets and I would honestly expect him to. Um I could see him becoming Goff's you know safety blanket if you want to put it that way. Uh and he is a great red zone threat. My only concern with Hawkinson and the the type of hype he's getting now because last year he was a genuine sleeper. Now we've seen him do it and people are all over him, especially in a format like best ball. Um and my concern is he already basically led them last year. he had how many games without Kenny Galladay, and he still finished as a tight end four. And I think that he's he might struggle to see some touchdowns because of the offense. It might be inefficient. I don't think they're gonna have a lot of scoring opportunities. You know, I don't think they're gonna be in the red zone a lot. So you know, I think he's gonna solely rely on volume. He's a great option for something like a full PPR league. Um, you know, he could give you a pretty pretty safe floor, but it's gonna be hard. To crack into that elite tier of the top three, you know, your, your Kelsey Kittle Waller, I think those guys are pretty established and and Kittle was out a good chunk of last year and he still only finished as the tight end four. Um, So, so I like him a lot. He could lead the team in targets, but he's, I think it's still going to be hard for him to to crack that, you know, truly elite tier.
0: Sure. Uh, Chris, I, I've got a lot of Hawkinson because he's kind of slipping. You could, it'll cost you a sixth round pick to get him. But right now his ADP on underdog is lower than Kyle Pitts, lower than Mark Andrews, which hasn't always been the case this offseason so far. Uh, how are you looking at TJ Hawkinson? Are you looking at tight end in the sixth round? or Are you doing one of those, get the top three or wait till later? How are you approaching that position in best ball this year?
2: I think Jake Jack laid out the the right case like for Hawkinson at this point, because we do think that there's at least some risk to, the fact that like while his targets might increase the overall offensive efficiency like might take a step back red zone efficiency will obviously take a step back as well so if that's the case then really we're only relying on a weekly targets in order to get there which in some cases sure that might that might be okay but we really need the touchdowns in order to, in order to really sustain that that volume at that particular position that's why Robert Tunyon wound up being such a big thing because it was just week after week Aaron Rodgers was leading the team like down the field and then Tunyon was capitalizing off of some of those touchdown drives that wound up making him much more of a fantasy star. But we don't really see that in the realm of possibility for Hawkinson. So that risk, I think, is somewhat priced in, considering like right now, as you mentioned, he's currently going as like tight end five, tight end six, like somewhere in that range, like past Pitts, past Andrews. And so before you really want to dive into any of the rest of the guys that currently go after him, like Goddard or Logan Thomas or Tyler Higbee, I mean, most of those other guys that are currently going after him from a tight end perspective, each of them have their own warts that can be Mm -hmm. uh, can be associated with them whether it be competition for targets on their own team um, whether we haven't really seen them do it for extended period of time Hawkinson really doesn't have that it's really just the his current environment like the team environment like switching from golf losing Kenny Galladay that's really what's sticking to that's the risk associated with Hawkinson is if the entire offense craters around him then really what do we have on a week-to-week standpoint but as you mentioned I mean currently where he's uh, where he's going in drafts right now I do think the risk is at least for the most part mitigated so I think he would be one of those last tight ends I think maybe Tyler Higby I think which is going I believe like tight end seven like uh right after uh right after Hawk I think those guys are the last ones that I would take from a best ball perspective and say all right I'm just going to take one other tight end and then I'm good afterwards uh, but I, I do mm-hmm. think that he is he is one of my uh current targets like from a tight end perspective for sure
0: Yeah, with you, Goddard's the last tight end that I only take two. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's where I I am as well. Uh, So, Chris, do we want any of these wide receivers? We talk about all these wide receivers. We got, you know, Quintez Cephas and Prashad Perryman, and you talked about Amon Ross St. Brown earlier. Uh, Tyrell Williams is kind of floating around. Do we want any of these receivers at all?
2: Um, uh Perryman, I think I have taken some stabs at him and Tyrell Williams. I mean, Perryman, like while I know he's been in the league for a while, I mean, bounced around from what, like Baltimore down to Tampa, now up to Detroit. I believe it was, what was the, that, that playoff game where it was essentially just him. He was this, like the last man standing because Godwin was hurt, Mike Evans was hurt. And then he wound up having, I believe he wound up cracking the century mark on like just over 10 targets like during that game with Jameis Winston. So I, I think that the possibility is there. I think that there's still some talent there so Perryman is the guy that I've been taking Perryman is the guy that I've been taking more stabs at because from Tyrone any sort of I guess significant development from him as a as a uh, as a wide receiver I I want to see more in terms of route running I want to see more in terms of diversifying uh, his route tree and being able to use be used more as a I guess a wide receiver one almost like what we saw from Will Fuller last mm-hmm. year, with the loss of DeAndre Hopkins, could Will Fuller really turn from a deep threat guy into more of an established like wide receiver one? And we saw that. Haven't really seen Tyro Williams really make that pivot to actually being a wide receiver one, or having other like other routes in his repertoire in order for the in order to earn more targets from his quarterback. And if we're not really expecting Jared Goff to really start targeting like down the field even deeper, then really where's that opportunity gonna come from a guy like Tyrell Williams. but. Where they're going at in drafts, uh, it doesn't really matter at that point, really, does it? I mean, to be quite honest, uh, where, mm-hmm. I mean, Brashad Perryman, as of right now, going as wide receiver, 73 over an underdog. Tyro Williams, just a couple of wide receiver positions back. I mean, they're in the 160s in terms of ADP. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're looking for a wide receiver that you think could wind up seeing at least like eight to 10 targets on a weekly basis, which for the most, uh, since we're talking about negative game scripts, it's well within the range of outcomes for either of those two guys. Taking a stab at either of them isn't the worst thing, but if I'm gonna put my chips on either one of those guys, it's been Perryman.
0: Yeah, you know I've actually been taking a lot of uh, a lot of these Lions wide receivers. Um, kind of all three of them: the the Tyrell Williams, Quintez Cephas, uh, Brashad Perryman. I've, I've taken all three of those. Guys. Oh, I'm on Ross St. Brown, so all four of them. I've been doing that a lot in my. Um, hyper fragile builds and my zero running back builds not so much because I'm not usually looking at stabs at the wide receiver position in the 14th round or later because as you mentioned that's where they're available in underdog but you know those hyper those hyper fragile builds where I'm I've got eight nine receivers I'm usually looking at somebody with that kind of upside so I've sprinkled all four of them into my lineups um and and I think they fit a lot in whether it's like a self-contained three dollar league uh over at underdog or or the best ball mania tournament at $25 uh that best media tournament it pays out a million and one dollars to the winner so getting kind of stabs at anyone who could put up possibly put up wide receiver one wide receiver two numbers has kind of been nice for me um Chris, when you're doing these best ball leagues over there, uh, does it matter on the tournament uh, style that you're doing and how you're diversifying your lineups and how you're approaching these unknown teams like the Lions?
2: No, not particularly, because when I'm when I'm looking at some of those unknown teams, it really is trying to diversify uh, as much as I can across those teams, because I know I don't have all the answers. And trying to rely on like a single beat report or whatever to really shift my in order to shift my my thought process when uh, when investing in each of those guys, it hasn't really it hasn't been as profitable for me. It's just saying that I don't know, so I'm going to try and uh, take as many of those these guys and uh, and but be as diverse as possible across each of those teams. So from Detroit to the Jets, to the Patriots, I mean, to any of those teams that we really just don't have enough information on how that offense is gonna shake out, that has really been like my approach. But the other thing from a tournament perspective, and this is what I've started doing over the last maybe couple of months or so, to start focusing on the end of the season. Some of those matchups that are coming that we'll we'll need to capitalize on and we'll need to maximize our exposure to in order to really push our teams over the edge and advance throughout those tournaments. So it's for, let's say like New England, playing against Jacksonville, like in week 17, like we know that there's at least going to be some point score, but where is that going to come from? So that's where I'm looking at either like Jacoby Myers or like Nelson Aguilar for for Jacksonville. It's like uh, Marvin Jones, Visca, and those guys. I mean, but, but I mean, but for the offenses that we don't know a ton about, it's really trying to create those micro-correlations within your lineup so that if I wind up taking, let's say, a LaVisca Chenault early, Let me try and back that up with uh, Jacoby Myers later or Hunter Henry or Johnny Smith later in order to Mm -hmm. get access to that week 17 game. Same thing for, uh, let's say, the Jets. So the Jets play against Tampa Bay in week 17. So if I'm, let's say, drafting Tom Brady and maybe stacking him, like the easy stack would be with him and like Mike Evans or Chris Godwin. But let me grab, let's say, let me throw a dart at, let's say, even like Elijah Moore later, Jameson Crowder later, or heck, like Denzel Mims. I mean, who's yeah. going at like the very back end of drafts, who's like actually one of those ideal, better and best ball type of wide receivers. Detroit specifically, Detroit's playing against Seattle in week 17. You know that with Seattle's weak defense, that could wind up being a decent game. So it's like any of those guys, like if I'm going to try and, you know, take a stab at those guys, I do try and take a look at my lineup see if there's any way that I can kind of harness that back into the season game where we know that there's likely going to be points scored and then try and find a way to weave some of those guys into we weave some of that exposure into my lineup.
0: Yeah. Which makes perfect sense. Uh, Jack, do, do you have any like favorite underdog targets and how your approach differs there versus redraft?
1: Yeah. So I keep finding myself investing in the jets and the Colts for whatever reason. I, they just, I get through the draft and then all the values are there and I'm like, oh, I can't stop taking Zach Wilson. Like, I don't know what it is, <laughs> um, but you know, in terms of differentiation between underdog and, you know, redraft league, redraft, I feel like you're going for those more consistent options. You know, the, the term better best ball is thrown a lot, around a lot, but that's for a reason. Like, you know, if you're investing your first round pick, second round, third round in a redraft league, you're mostly playing it safe. You know, at least most people do from what I can tell. I'm a little more risky. Um, But, you know, you're going to take that option that's locked and loaded, might not have the highest upside in second, third round, but you know um, what they can do. Whereas underdog gives you the chance, you know, to stack or super stack, which is what I find myself doing a lot with the Jets and the Colts. um You know, the Jets are, I think, completely undervalued because of the Adam Gase stink that is still over that entire team. You know, we have to realize the different regime, um you know, different offensive philosophy. And Zach Wilson, you know, we do know he is a good quarterback and he was in college and he has some rushing upside. Um, And I think whenever you can get a QB late that has some rushing upside and has a good arm, um, you know, you take that chance. And they've surrounded him with new weapons. They've given him Corey Davis. They've given him Elijah Moore. Um, You know, I know Denzel Mims is reportedly in the doghouse. So I've been taking a lot of Jameson Crowder really late because every time Jameson Crowder has been healthy, he's put up good points, especially in any PPR format. Um, You know, he's a quarterback's best friend, especially a young one because he's always open. He's that slot target. Um, so I find myself going after the Jets. I also um, have heavy exposure to Carson Wentz because he's being taken as a QB 22. Yeah. Last time I checked. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and through the six games last year, Wentz finished as a QB 7 for all fancy on a terrible Eagles team with a depleted <laughs> offensive line and no receiving weapons. You know, and now he's behind an all-pro offensive line. He's got arguably a top 10 running back in Jonathan Taylor you know, his wide receiving options aren't the greatest, but there's still an improvement on what he dealt with last year. And if any guy can, can fix Carson Wentz, it's going to be Frank Reich, the guy who almost got an MVP season out of him in 2017 before he got hurt. So Mm -hmm. I have a lot of exposure to the Colts. Um, A lot of Naeem Hines stacks with Wentz and Pittman because Naeem Hines is going off the boards like the RB 44. And again, it's half PPR and he had a good role last year and finished the RB 20s. Um, You know, and that's with a Jonathan Taylor breakout. So I think that those two offenses in particular are ones that I've been targeting just because they're cheap. And I really think they'll both um, way outperform their ADP. And those are the type of lineups I think you're looking for an underdog to try and win a tournament.
2: Mm-hmm. agreed. And I think one of the great things about Underdog is the fact that, like, as you're drafting, you can quickly, like, once you get on the clock, you can quickly, like, pull up your roster, kind of scroll through your current players, see your bye weeks, flip back and, like, uh, pull up the board if you need to, and see where all the players that are currently going. And then, if you need to, in order to create some of those stacks, you can search for specific players, see their ADP. I just think that Underdog has created such an easy to use and intuitive app that if you want to gain exposure to, some of those players into some of those teams you can quickly figure out okay well who do i need in order to put together this stack like which player do i really want to try and target either now or try and set up for for later on in the draft so i, I can't i have to i like i can't congratulate underdog enough because of any of the other platforms that a lot of folks have been going to over the years that's been one of the biggest not necessarily complaints but one of the things we've been asking for is just give us an app give us an app give us an app and underdog has now done it i think it's now made things much easier for even the casual players like folks that don't really get into the weeds like us like fantasy nerds uh, about (laughs) stacking and all the rest of that stuff i mean that just makes it easier for you to just like hop in throw your three five ten twelve but you know however much it is and just wind up doing a draft with your friends and all that. So, so hats off to him for putting together. Such a wonderful platform for us to go in and, you know, spend ridiculous amounts of money on, uh, <laughs> like, like I have been over the past like few months. Uh, but I know that especially after this news that came out today, we're probably going to wind up spending quite a bit more because let's just go ahead and hop right into the Packers. I mean, Brandon, uh, I mean, we know that like, according to Schefter, Rappaport and all that, Aaron Rodgers, he's coming back. We've got Devonte Adams now. I guess the fallout from that is that he's now his team is now back into uh, the uh, extension discussions and and all that. So now, what? How are you approaching this Green Bay offense? I mean, is it just? Are we back to? How we viewed this team back in 2020, everything is forgiven with their back into the good graces of the fantasy <laughs> community and it's wide receiver one season for Devonte Adams. Rogers is like in the what top at least top five uh, in terms of quarterbacks. I mean, is that how you're approaching this now with the wonderful news that everything is you know all good in Green Bay?
0: I think I am ultimately like I I you know Rodgers is always somebody that you don't really know where to draft cuz he'll go MVP season then he'll come out and they'll run more the next year so sometimes he uh at this stage in his career he can be a really valuable asset on your fantasy team, depending on what his ADP is. So I'm interested to see where it lands, where his ADP is. Uh, Now that all this news is here, I imagine it will go up quite a bit. If it lands in like that third round area where I'm looking at those other elite quarterbacks, obviously I'm probably not going to be interested. If he lands in that like fifth, sixth, seventh round area, I might have a few darts at him. Uh, Devontae Adams, yeah, he's back to wide receiver one for me now. (laughs)
2: yeah i know we were having i know some of the folks uh here at four for four were having discussion in slack about like how this changes things so now we're really back into the discussion of at the very least the top three hill digs Adams put them in whichever order that you currently uh that you're currently uh I guess believing in or whatnot I mean Jack let me ask you I mean how are you evaluating I guess that passing attack I mean is Adams your wide receiver one and then on top of that how are you now valuing some of the ancillary players I mean Alan, Laz- Alan Lazard was looking like a fine target towards the back end of the season I know he had that core muscle surgery mid-season um, I mean, Marcus Valdes-Scantling for the deep targets. Now they've also added in Amari Rodgers. The rumor, uh, I guess I saw it earlier from, who is it? Uh, I think like Trey Wingo or something like that, saying that Randall Cobb needs to come back. I mean, there's all these other pieces, right, <laughs> mm-hmm. that now are unlocked or at least possible or viable as best ball or fantasy options with Aaron Rodgers returning. So outside of the mainstays in Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, maybe throw in Robert Tunney if you want to, do you even, do we, should we care about some of those other guys that are sitting behind them and which ones are you trying to target the most?
1: Yeah. So just the first part of your response, um, you know, Adams wide receiver one, for me, he still isn't um, even prior to all of this news and speculation about Rogers and Adams and the last dance picture and all of that. Um, I didn't have Adams, as my wide receiver one, he's wide receiver two to three and it's close. It's not like I'm saying, you know, oh, Adams is going to fall off a cliff but we've seen historically the wide receiver one does not repeat back-to-back seasons. Um, and I think somebody, mm-hmm. especially like Adams and Rodgers in the season they had last year, that touchdown efficiency was ridiculous. Um, I think Adams had what, 18 receiving touchdowns and the Packers had the seventh lowest passing rate in the league. That efficiency is something that we just don't see every year. Um, you know, it reminds me of Lamar Jackson's pass- passing touchdown rate, his MVP season. And what it went to with Mark Andrews, and then it fell off, you know, he didn't, he wasn't a bust per se, but he had a lot less touchdowns. Um, so even if you bake in the regression to the mean for Adams receiving touchdowns, you know, he still is a top wide receiver, but the bona fide wide receiver one, I like guys like Ridley better this year, like Tyree Kill, like Stephon Diggs. Um, you know, I think Adams is always going to be in that top five conversation
2: with Rodgers, but, but he's
1: not my wide receiver one for now. Um, no. But in,
2: go ahead. I was going to say that I actually agree with you on that because, at least for me, I do look at, uh, I mean, the touchdowns, of course, and the, uh, well, touchdowns, obviously, but the target share, we do know that, like, uh, Devontae Adams is going to have one of the higher target shares like in the league So he should be competing with DeAndre Hopkins of the world the Stefan Diggs of the world I mean even like Tyreek Hill I'm assuming his target share like while well, it has uh, Floated around like it's oscillated around like 23, 24, 25 percent like somewhere in there I could see him even kick up a little bit more uh, this year as an at least from all Everything that I've heard, my intuition is that they wind up shifting more towards a two tight end like power run like type of uh, type of thing. But all those offenses that I just mentioned, so the uh, at, at the very least for Kansas City and the Bills, they're also predicated on high passing volume to begin with. Their neutral passing rates were top five, top six in the league. Green Bay is, has does not been that. Like under Matt LaFleur, they've been more of a balanced, uh, balanced running game or balanced passing game. I mean, they've been like 16th, 17th or even like back end or like, uh, you know, 20th or 21st, like in terms of neutral passing rate. So for Rogers to do what he did last year, I mean, number one, in terms of uh, offensive points per drive, I mean, second, in terms of offensive yards per drive, according to football outsiders, I mean, all that efficiency that we look at. I mean, that's that's great, but it's hard to replicate if you're not going to have similar volume year over year. So for my money, yeah, I'm still looking at Diggs and Hill as the one two for me. And then Adams comes in right like right behind them, because similar to how we view DeAndre Hopkins, I mean, a part of a a part of a team that while he might garner 29, 30 percent target share like in his offense, it's still a running team very similar to, I mean, to the, to the Packers, but I mean, less so that it's still a team that's predicated on the run, or at least a more of a balanced attack than anything else. So I, I do agree with you that there should be some, at least some concern, right? While most folks want to push Adams up into the very, like the top or like the wide receiver one, like across the league, I will just still say that he is a wide receiver one for me, but not the wide receiver one. If you get what I'm saying.
1: Yep. Yep. Uh, we're on the exact same page there. Um, and outside of Adams, the only guy I would throw a dart on is Lazard, because before he got hurt, he did look like, you know, the guy that finally could be the wide receiver two. We've been trying to predict the fantasy wide receiver two in Green Bay for what feels like 10 years now. Um, and it hasn't come to fruition yet. So I think if anyone could do it, it's Lazard because he has the skill set. Um, but I'm still not heavily banking on that. Um, you know, because Adams is going to have the high target share. Tanyan's emerge. And Aaron Jones is a pass catching threat out of the backfield.
2: Exactly. And I was just going to ask you about about them. Uh, So Jones, A.J. Dillon. Now we saw A.J. Dillon during that snow game against the Titans break out over 100 yards like during that particular game. But how are you approaching this backfield now without Jamal Williams? I mean, is it still Aaron Jones like all day long for you? Or are you trying to at least take a balanced approach to a team that we know is going to have significant rushing volume to split between these two backs?
1: Yeah, so honestly, I want both of them, um, especially at their price points. You know, most most running back le- uh, rooms in the league now are a committee by their snap percentages. But it's not going to be some kind of, I don't think it's a 50-50 split per se. I think it's like a 60-40. 60 on Aaron Jones, 40 on A.J. Dillon. Um, obviously, you'd rather have Aaron Jones because we've seen what he can do. He's got top five upside. He's got the pass catching work out of the backfield. He's obviously the RB1 on that backfield. But I think Dylan is cheap right now, um, and especially for what his skill set is and what he can bring to the table. I think he could be used as a goal back. We've seen in the past Jamal Williams has put in in these really important situations, you know, third down path, pass blocking or, you know, near the goal line red zone. And I think that's the role that A.J. Dillon just inherited. We saw him have some of a role last year, even with Jamal Williams in town. So I think his snap share is going to go up, and they obviously like him because they spent a second round pick to get him. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think he's the type of guy where I'm okay handcuffing him. I'm not a big handcuffing, you know, advocate because you overexpose yourself at points to to certain backfields. But if you're overexposing yourself to a backfield that's going to be run heavy, possibly top five in the league and, you know, how much they run the football, that's what you want to do. And, you know, Aaron Jones hasn't hasn't finished a full season healthy, I don't think, in two or three years. He always misses a couple games for a little injury here, a little injury there. And those are the games that, you know, Dylan can finish top 10 that week because he is a good running back, you know, contrary to popular oh, yeah. belief, he's not some kind of plotter in the backfield. Um, the quad father can get it done. So, you know, oh, I... I, love that. I love that nickname. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I do want both of them, especially at their, their price tags. So uh shockingly we're running long cuz
0: that never happens on this show. Uh let's let's <laughs> shift to let's shift to the Bears. Uh talk about running backs in tandems. Uh David Montgomery uh, going in the 4th round, Jack. Uh Tariq Cohen's pretty much free. Uh first off, like do you think Cohen's going to resume his pass catching role? And then second, David Montgomery, they say they want to feed him. Is he a value pick in the 4th round?
1: So I think Montgomery and Tariq Cohen, these two these two talking points are tied to the hip. I think that's what's going to make make or break if Montgomery ends up being a value in the fourth round. Fourth round's obviously the RB dead zone. Um, so, you know, the hit rates are lower historically there. But, you know, Montgomery, I think, is one of those cases where we've overcorrected on him. You know, he finished high last year because he had a perfect opportunity, perfect back half schedule, all those things that have been talked about. Um, and now people are saying, oh, well, it's because he had this perfect schedule, he did well, not because he's actually good. And I don't think that's the case because we remember how much hype he got coming out as a rookie and he burned people and then he was a value last year and then it, the hype skyrocketed and now the hype is back down. He's, he's a weird case scenario of these hype trends and how you can mm. profit on them for a value. Um, so I do think he is a value pick in the fourth round. I think he could return close to second round value, um, but that is going to depend on Cohen. Cohen has started the training camp on the pup list. Um, yeah, so not a good sign. <laughs> no, not at all. Because the argument against Montgomery, the whole off season has been, well, Cohen's coming back and he's going to take away the pass catching opportunities. And I myself have made that argument too, but all the reports about Cohen right now, they said he looks stiff in practice because he tore his ACL. He doesn't look good. He's on the pup. All of these should be red flags for people saying, well, he might not resume that pass catching role right away. He's not going to be out there in the slot or out there on pass catching downs if he can't do it. Um, you know, we've seen Montgomery get it done and get it done at a high level in the passing game. So I think that Montgomery is going to be one of those cases where I think he's going to have a really strong first four, six, maybe seven games. Um, but once Cohen is healthy and starts eating into his receiving work, if he comes back to form, you know, that's assuming health. Then he'll start dropping off a little bit. But right now in the fourth round for a potential RB1 and PPR formats, I you can't you can't ignore that.
0: Yeah, he's definitely been a target of mine if I'm going running back in that dead zone. Uh, Chris, let's shift to the receivers in Chicago. They just traded away Anthony Miller. Obviously, Allen Rib- Robinson is the prize there. It'll ca- he'll cost you a third-round pick. Uh, and then Darnell Mooney, kind of interesting. I know you uh, have liked a little bit of him as well. Uh, so how are you approaching Robinson and Mooney, and is there anyone else in Chicago with Miller gone uh, that maybe is worth a stab late?
2: Other than Cole Komet, I mean the the tight end. I mean the, those are really the only pass catchers that I have any interest in from a best ball perspective. I mean Mooney, we saw like the the flashes of him starting to break out, of him being able to one create separation, not just on the intermediate but the deep routes. I know that he was not necessarily a darling of Matt Harmon's fantasy uh, uh, reception perception, but at least he graded out well on, on most on most of those routes where mm-hmm. you do need some timing with the quarterback. You do need to be able to at least put yourself in a position that the quarterback can. Uh, earn some of that trust on some of those routes, and Mooney was able to do that uh, just in his first year. So now, really, the only question I do have with a guy like Mooney is who's going to be his quarterback. Now, if it's Andy Dalton, I'm not as secure, at least I'm not as confident in Mooney really being a fantasy uh, guess, producer if Dalton is going to be the one that's under center, Because we did see at least some, uh, like some characteristics or at least some flashes of that uh, being a possibility for Dalton last year, because we saw. Uh, guys like a guy like Michael Gallup starting to produce like down the stretch last year when uh, when Dalton was still in Dallas but at least I'm not gonna like hang that's nothing I want to hang my hat on so I would rather see Justin Fields like come into like uh, come under center uh, take over the starting job because at least from a deep ball perspective that is one of his calling cards I mean Justin Fields like while he wasn't asked to do it a ton when he was at Ohio State again another one of my guys I mean when he did do it he was one of the more accurate passers at that level of the field uh, as compared to any of the current prospects that came out, whether it was Trevor Lawrence, whether it was Zach Wilson, I mean, even Trey Lance. I mean, deep ball accuracy was actually one of the things that Justin Fields graded out quite well at. So it depends on when we see Fields actually take the field and mm-hmm. we actually see Mooney's true talent as a wide receiver access but for right now at least from a volume perspective mooney winds up being the one to benefit from the loss or at least the uh transition of anthony miller down to houston so i think but for where he's currently going at in drafts and where i can see mooney start to get pushed up i mean a lot of the guys that he's currently going around i just would rather have anyway unfortunately because let's see even before he was moving uh, even before like. Uh, the anthony miller trade got uh got announced it was i mean he was going around like uh let's see like Devonte parker let's see uh, uh, rashad bateman Corey davis henry ruggs like marvin jones like currently going after him. marvin jones i like, definitely was a target of mine like currently before that and same with uh same with ruggs to uh, to some extent bateman semi but it's just the company that he keeps in terms of adp if he winds up moving up even higher because let's see if you had to make the choice between a guy like michael pittman and uh, uh, Michael Pittman and Darnell Mooney, I'm taking Michael Pittman. If you had to make a choice between Jarvis Landry or Brandon, Brandon Cooks that are currently going at 45 and wide receiver 45 and wide receiver 46 on underdog, still rather any of those guys. So it just, I want to see what that ADP bounce is going to look like before I make any changes. But at least for right now, it looks pretty good for Darnell Mooney.
1: I can completely understand what you're saying there, Chris. Um, I think my X factor with Mooney is tied directly to Justin Fields. Fields mm-hmm. was one of the best deep ball passers in college football, and Mooney fits that skill set so well. You know, Allen Robinson's traditionally been more of the possession guy in this offense, um, and hyper targeted. But I think if Fields takes the field early, um, Mooney could be one of those league winners at his ADP, and I honestly mean that. Nope. I think I think he could finish as a high upside um, wide receiver two to wide receiver three. Um, he's obviously a better in best ball if he's not consistent. And if he's a home run hitter. But I really do think if Fields sees the field early, he he really can can win some leagues for people. Um, and in the case with Fields, he's the type of guy in a traditional redraft league, which I, I'm okay taking as my second quarterback. Um, in the case of Fields, if I want him, I'm gonna take somebody safer like a Kirk Cousins who could still finish as a fancy QB one, and then leave Fields as my QB two and hold on to him until he takes you know until he sees the field. Um, because with we all know with those rushing quarterbacks that they are fantasy cheat codes. Oh yes, um, and we know that Fields is gonna run the football as, as much as Matt Nagy wants to do with them. If he wants to keep them in the pocket, Fields is gonna play to his skill set. Um, and the Bears aren't the best offense in the world; they're better than most. But I, I really do think that Fields can can um, get on the football field right away. And once he does, on the football field right away. And once he does, he can be a fancy QB one.
2: Don't disagree with that at all. And let's move on to the final team that we're going to cover today, like in the NFC North, and it's the Minnesota Vikings. Now, Jack, I mean, is it really that easy to say that if you're in the 102 spot, you're drafting Dalvin Cook? I mean, is it's really that simple because that's really been my approach this far throughout the entire offseason.
1: I think it is. And I think it's because he debunked the injury-prone narrative last, last season. Obviously, I think he missed one game. Um, but the games that he did play you know, his spike weeks were so high, you know, those 40 point weeks where your, your opponent doesn't have any kind of chance, um, you know, and Dalvin Cook's one of those rare running backs that is just involved in the passing game as he is in the running game and has just high upside there. Um, so for me, he's like a souped up Alvin Kamara in terms of his upside. And, you know, the Vikings are still going to rely on him. They gave him a big money contract. And, you know, barring health, I, I don't see any path where he doesn't finish as a, a top three option. And that's really what you're looking for between picks 101, 103 is safety, but with crazy upside.
2: 100% 100% agree, and I think from looking at their, if, for folks that buy into this sort of thing, looking at their strength the schedule, I mean, Minnesota has like one of the best schedules, at least from a, uh, from, actually from a running and passing uh, defense perspective to start off the season. Their first like six games, let me read them off real quick. Cincinnati, Arizona, Seattle, Cleveland, that could be bad, Detroit, and then Carolina. So really just like one, maybe two, depending on where Carolina's defense is at, uh, that might scare you off for a little bit, but at least during that like early part of the season where we know we need to start off strong I mean that Minnesota offense with Dalvin Cook really being the focal point of that because we know they've been bottom three in terms of uh, neutral passing rate uh, but in the uh, also in terms of uh, red zone passing rate the past like few seasons I mean that should be at least the signal that Dalvin Cook is really going to be one of the beneficiaries like of that offense and as you mentioned Jack I mean over like 80% of the team's wrestlers throughout like most of the uh, when he's been active also like hitting on turn ter- uh, in terms of like a seven 8% like target share when he is when he is active as well catching some of those dump offs from Kirk Cousins, but now. The guys that are going to be catching some of those downfield passes, I mean Justin Jefferson, we saw what he could do last year, I mean coming right out of the gate we thought he was more of a slot receiver coming out of LSU completely turns the league on to this Minnesota passing attack. Are you buying into Justin Jefferson in year two, given his current price tag currently going like towards the back of the, I mean, end of the second round, early third round, I mean, high, wide, like high cost. I mean, are you buying it or are you trying to avoid him?
1: I think I'm more in the avoid category for this one. Um, And that's not because Jefferson isn't good. You know, Jefferson, set the world on fire last year and he wasn't the a wide receiver one on the field right away if you remember you know they, all the other reports of old busy johnson taking his, his snaps and training camp in the first couple of weeks jefferson wasn't the starter so that's I remember on, that yeah <laughs> you remember the hype train saying oh jefferson yeah. bust and all this uh so you know he has more games to his potential than what we saw last year but at a at a second round third round pick Um, considering some of the other wide receivers going in that range, he is an avoid for me. Um, but I think Jefferson is one of those cases that if you really love him and you really believe he's got top five upside that, that you take him. obviously, you know, that's a, I'm not a big, get your guy person, but Jefferson's one of those guys where if he hits like you think he can, you know, he's going to win you weeks. So I, I can't knock that taking him a second, third round. Um, but for me in those, in those rounds, I'm going to go elsewhere.
2: So then would the elsewhere be to just try and take adam thielen who's going uh, currently i mean almost like two to three rounds like after adam Th- uh, after justin jefferson because as you mentioned before i mean Uh, Justin Jefferson currently going as wide receiver eight you have to scroll down on the on the screen in order to get to Adam Thielen who's currently going as wide receiver 23 so about a fourth round ADP do you think that should be the move for drafters this season?
0: Thielen you know 14 touchdowns last year in what people think of as a down season he was still like a a very good receiver and he's wide receiver 23 right now an underdog which is uh just a good spot for him kind of a cheaper stack if you're going to use him with Kirk uh, with with Kirk Cousins later, uh, who's somebody that I really like as a QB two option, just because he, he's just he produces. He always puts fringe QB one numbers out there, and so uh, Thielen is probably the guy that I'm paying for. Chris, I know you had some things you wanted to say. I'm, I hate to cut us all short here because we're having fun talking, but we are running low on time. Uh, before we go, Chris, I did want to give you an opportunity to discuss the giveaway that you wanted to put out.
2: Exactly. So for the diehards that have made it to all the way to the end of this show, you now have a chance to win five Best Ball Mania tickets. So here's what you got to do. Because we love her so much, go follow Jen Ekins. Jen Akins, actually. Let me say it correctly before she gets mad at me. Jen Akins <laughs> on Twitter. I need to see proof that you follow Jen on Twitter. And then you also need to tweet at both of us and tell us both what is her favorite college. What is her favorite position that she likes to write about and who is her favorite player at that position? The first person to to give me to show me all three things, a picture that you follow her, what her favorite position is and who her favorite position or player at that position is, you will be getting five Best Ball Mania tickets. So hurry up. Do some research, find out more about the wonderful Jen Akins who works here at 444, my editor that makes me look good as I'm writing some of the content here for 444. But once you do that, i will let you i will get you entered and you will wind up with five best ball mania tickets like on your account assuming you have one if you don't have one go back to the promo that we talked about earlier go ahead and sign up for underdog fantasy with the promo code 444 deposit 10 bucks get 25 plus the pro subscription and if you want to do that other stuff by following jen akins on twitter you will and all the other trivia questions that i just mentioned you'll wind up getting an additional what is that? Five times one twenty, 120, that's one hundred and twenty five dollars added to your account in order wow. to do the best ball mania. So do that and hit us up. Hurry up. That's awesome, Chris. I know all those answers. Can I enter? That's what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotta be for our man. Oh, that's right. Uh <laughs>
0: thanks, Chris. Uh everyone be sure to follow Jack on Twitter at Clinic Cap. That's cap with two Ps. And check out his stuff at four for four.com. We'd like to thank Jack for joining us today. Chris, always a pleasure. Uh do you have any final thoughts before we go?
2: No, I mean, all love to Jack for taking the time to sit down and talk with us. I mean, appreciate another chance getting to sit down with you and can't wait to do it again soon, man.
0: Excellent. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast listeners. You can follow us on Twitter at TwoGuysBrandon and
1: at ChrisAllenFFWX. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good day.